I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Half World by Hiromi Goto. Yeah. This is a request from listener Lacey. Thank you so much, Lacey, for bringing this book to our attention. This book is dope. It is dope. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed it is. I had a great time. It was published in 2010, so a bit later than when we were discovering a lot of the other books that we've covered. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm so happy to have experienced it. It really scratched an itch that I have had. I am currently working on a YA fantasy horror book, and reading this made me feel intimidated. It <laughs> made me also want made to me do very like, excited. Yeah, it made me want to do like horror short stories, which would not be uh, a YA. They would just be like adult horror. Yeah, just messed up stuff, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we always say at Dragon Babies, we love messed up stuff. <laughs> But it also, I'm just realizing now that I, I got back into a horror podcast. It's one that I used to listen to a lot, but the author is takes time to get his stories out and to get them recorded, which makes total sense. Um, and I went back to it and there was a bunch of new episodes. Like because of reading this, my thirst for like mm. horror stories came back, which I go into that cycle now and again. Um, and it's called Knife Point Horror. Uh, by Soren Narnia. Don't know if that's their real name. That's an amazing name. <laughs> Either way. <it's laughs> yeah. Um, and you can access it on like any podcast media. Um, I listen to it on Spotify. Definitely check it out because it is cool and uh, horror is one of my favorite genres. So, and, and it's such a massive genre, which I feel like this YA fantasy book also having mm-hmm. like horror genre parts to it kind of, um, illustrates like there's so many different types of horror it's very versatile mm-hmm. um, so I loved that we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover so if you haven't read this before I definitely recommend checking it out especially if you're not squeamish it is a pretty gross book yeah <laughs> and I from doing my quick goodreads temp check I did see that it is pretty polarizing and the people who don't like it mostly find it too graphic huh. um, so yeah just a little disclaimer. I do think it's out of print, unfortunately. Oh, um, but maybe we that's both, why there's no audiobook. Yeah, we were both able to find it through the library. Mm-hmm. Um, so check with your local library and see what you can find. I think it's worth it. I finally made a my own Seattle Public Library System account. Um, instead of just mooching off of Grace's and forgetting the password every time and having me go back and like, I'm sorry, Grace, I'm stupid. It's not hard to make your own account, arguably much easier than using mine. No, indeed. It would have saved me a lot of energy. Uh, But now I've done it. It, It's free and you can check out so many. (laughs) It's just a library's plug. Yes, like because I I know it's just I've been say, I'm feeling a little frustrated because I've been saying this for years to you. Yes, well, you definitely cumulatively Fight. pushed Fight. me to this point where I was like, okay, I'm embarrassed to ask Grace for information again. I'll just make my own account. Um, and uh, 
I, it, it's been like a paradigm shift for me. Finally, it's been long coming that now uh, I can access pretty much any book that I want for free online. Um, so support your local libraries. They're also some of the only places where you can publicly use a computer, telephone, or bathroom, or yeah. which makes them very, very important in another way. So support, support, support your local libraries. This book is illustrated by Jillian Tamaki, who is an illustrator, artist, writer that I've loved for many years. Oh, I, I highly recommend. I highly recommend, in particular, of her books, Super Mutant Magic Academy, which is a series of cartoons about um, teenage mutants at a I did magical not know school. That this okay. So the the illustrator. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. She has quite a few graphic novels. I haven't read all of them. The ones she uh, did with her cousin, um, Mariko Tamaki, Skim, and This One Summer are both really incredible. I know she has a new book coming out next year that she also did with her cousin. Um, Yeah, her work is so exceptional. She is also Canadian. Just all around cool. She and Michael DeForge had a butter tart... um, like blog going at one point where they were reviewing different butter, tart? butter tarts available in Toronto. Now, how haven't we talked about this before in yeah. the context of butter pie? Yeah, like, we didn't did. we come across or you came across that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, everything she makes is great. So <laughs> check it out. Um, so she illustrated the cover, and I'm saying all this as a preamble to discussing how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Um, Side note, I just released an episode about audiobook cover design. So if you guys missed that, check it out. It's in our regular feed. Um, Mini episode. Mini episode, baby. Uh, This cover is so good. It's such a good cover. It does apparently mislead a lot of people to think this is a graphic novel, um, especially because it does say illustrations by Jillian Tamaki. But it also makes me think that those people don't read a lot of graphic novels in part because it's really long this would be a pretty involved graphic novel well all you have to do is open the book yeah (laughs) it's a problem with the internet i suppose well but i mean you could see the first few pages of it at anywhere you choose to never mind i don't know it's not it's not my good reads people it is good people. i saw it elsewhere as well So the cover folds out. It's a single flowing image from front to back. I want a poster of it. And it shows Melanie atop the crow bridge running over the abyss between the realm of the flesh and half world. Jade Rat is alive and on her shoulder. And she is mirrored with an image of herself. Um, But in her regular street clothes as opposed to or you know what it is i think think it's it's her at the end of the book right i think it's her coming home i think this is her entering half world that's kind of what i thought yeah because it's like the mirror yep so it's her at the beginning of the story and then at the end of the story with her fingertips touching her fingertips and that's that's (laughs) the dress that she gets from the party right right yeah Yeah. it's not white i guess that was what threw me but i I think it comes across as white for me because the background is Mm -hmm. so so colorful yeah yeah Yeah, there's a very striking blood red 
sunset sky fading into orange at the top, and the crow bridge is scattering off into the sky. You can hear the the cacophony of the crows you really just looking can. at the picture. And it is magnificent. Yeah. Who wouldn't pick this book up? 11 out of 10. 11 out of 10. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Madeline, yes. would you like to give us a plot summary? Yes. So the book starts with Shinobu and Fumiko. Uh, they are in a mad dash. The book starts high energy and they're like scrambling, uh, running over this desolate landscape. And uh, um, Fumiko is very pregnant and uh, they are sprinting over this bridge. And they, at this point they just say like, it's kind of a a very fragile undulating bridge that Mm -hmm. they're tearing across. Um, There are horrible monster demons uh, close on their heels, tearing behind them. Um, They reach a granite wall on the other side of the bridge. And it's, it's clear to us that this is some kind of gate that they need to go through um, the, uh, the action is very, it, it happens very fast. So at some point the, the group of monsters get across the bridge after them, they're hot on their heels. The guardian of the bridge, that's a stone giant is kind of like coming out of the wall <laughs> and waking up and they're like, let us into the gate. And the bridge guardian very stoically just says, you have to pay the toll. We find out that the toll is, biting off your pinky finger in in particular it has to be bitten off um someone's pinky finger has to be bitten off by someone else at the gate yeah a lot of fingers get bitten off in this book and there's like a pile of <laughs> it keeps happening finger bones yeah which i kind of appreciate the commitment like that's the toll right and it's i know my gosh people like, pay it <laughs> maybe we can get a rule change at some point and the mountain guardian is just like give me a give pinky. me your fingers <laughs> um and uh, then the pack of monsters is also over the bridge and mr Glueskin, who is this awful phlegmy uh goopy just slimy rancid vinegary uh, just ruin of a human <laughs> that like cannot be called a human no. um like the way he moves is very carefully explained by the author. I can see him and smell him and feel fear as he shambles towards me. Like very, very well written. Very effective villain. Uh, And he's, he's wearing like a raincoat and galoshes Mm -hmm. um, and he's awful. (laughs) He gets to them across the bridge and he actually lets Fumiko go through the gate. Um, and the condition that he, he's like, I love games, like many evil people. Let's play a game. And uh, he says uh, she can go through, she can take the baby, um, but she has to come back in 14 years. And he's keeping Shinobu, her husband. And if she doesn't come back in 14 years, then he will do horrible, horrible things to Shinobu uh, for all eternity because they are all trapped in half world. Um, which is where they're trying to escape from. So Fumiko, uh, Fumiko goes, she goes through the gate, Shinobu uh, bites off his pinky. And uh, then we cut to Melanie at 14 years of age in our reality or like a facsimile of our reality. Um, that follows the rules of our reality. Flesh world in Vancouver. Yes. In Vancouver, she, 
Again, we jump to action. She's running from a horrible group of girls who are hurling slurs and insults at her as she frantically runs away from them. They've actually chased her out of school midday. Uh, so she's a bad bully situation. Yeah, yeah, it's really rough. Um, and she just kind of says, like, screw it. I've, you know, they don't think I'm a good student. It doesn't matter if I don't go back to school. So she, instead she goes to, um, well, she doesn't go to Ms. Way's bookstore then. No, she goes to sit at the docks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she kind of hangs out with gray, some crows. Classic Pacific Northwest yeah. uh, late fall afternoon. And some crows are fighting above her and dropping mussels to crack them open on the rocks. Yeah, and I, I just want to state that I really appreciate the author's portrayal of crows in this book. I feel like crows have really received justice because in... We've talked about crows quite a bit in the last <laughs> month. <laughs> but the crows With in the, the last book... With the rising and now this. ...were evil. They were instruments of the darkness and now they are still just as like mm -hmm. creepy and weird and awesome, but they're like firmly on the side. They're not on the side of entropy. They're the opposing force in this book, which I very much appreciate. Um, so one of the crows, she's thinking about eating the like gross scummy mussels that she sees in the water because she's hungry because she and her mom, her mom can barely work. She's always had this kind of wasting illness, which we realized then and are explained later. It's because like she's, doesn't belong in flesh realm. She's uh, like a half spirit. She's trapped in half world. That's where like she's actually belongs. And she's an alcoholic. And yes, she she has a serious drinking problem that has been like getting her through, especially in recent years. And a crow throws fortune cookie on the ground next to her, and she opens the fortune cookie, and it's it just says like go home. Um, and we get a picture. And it's really spooky, and so she goes home. Uh, her mom is not there. And uh, it's very spooky. She's very upset. And then the phone rings, which shouldn't have rung because their phone service was cut for um, delinquency of payment. And uh, it's Mr. Glueskin. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm terrible. I have your mom. I'm going to hurt her. And you have to come to half world to keep that from happening. And then like, that's it. Uh, she's Melanie's pretty freaked out. And then she runs to Ms. Way, uh, who owns a like secondhand bookstore. Lives. Convenience store. She she has a grocery store. Isn't it a bookstore? She just has no, a ton of books. No, she just has her own Oh, and she talks about library. a bookstore, yeah. but mm -hmm. she doesn't actually go there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and she, Ms. Way like brings her upstairs. It's like, what's going on? You look terrible. Um, Melanie kind of explains to her like what's going on, even though Melanie doesn't really understand. But Ms. Way has more on that subject. She pulls uh, a book um, called The Book of the Realms, mm -hmm. and there's like some cryptic messages that like only Melanie can see, and Ms. Way saw different ones, pushing her towards. Uh, showing her this prophecy that a baby will be born in half world and then probably another baby and everything's going to get fixed because of these babies. Uh, Melanie realizes that she's one of the babies and that she has to get to half world to try to right the realms and save her mom. 
Ms. Way helps her get to Half World. It's uh, it reminded me a little bit of Pendragon mm-hmm. because it's in a like subway station it's or off in the a freeway highway tunnel. Yeah, but it has a very similar vibe mm-hmm. of like rushing, scary traffic, um, and like a dirty. Uh, kind of secret uh, industrial place that... Exhaust and loud mm -hmm, noises. Yeah. Yeah, rushing air. Yeah, and her, like, running towards this door, Mm -hmm. and there's, like, there's a cop that shows up all of a sudden to throw a wrench in the plan. It's not helpful. No, the cop is really mean, and uh, Ms. Wei uh, sacrifices herself by just kind of lurching towards him Mm -hmm. and being like, I'm an old woman, I'm lost, help me. (laughs) I'm confused. Yeah. Um, And so Melanie books it, uh, important to note that Ms. Way gave her um, a jade rat pendant um, and uh, said, like, take this with you. Melanie gets through the right door um, and re- like there's scary stuff like sucking forces, darkness, very bad feelings. Like it's very evocative of going like into this very scary between worlds place. Um, and either right before she gets in the door or maybe right after, there's just a raccoon uh, that, like, shuffles towards her. I could see the raccoon walking. <laughs> really evocative language just all through mm-hmm. the book. Um, and kind of, like, pushes the one of those plastic eight balls that you can shake. And then it ball. says, like, ask again later. <laughs> so she takes it for the raccoon the raccoon just scampers off again and she brings that with her um into half world when she gets through the gate the gate guardian the stone giant is like give me your finger and melanie tries she kind of like bites on her pinky finger which i did too when i was reading this who has read this book <laughs> and didn't try biting on their finger yeah at least to just once. be like how bad does it hurt even if you just apply like a small amount of pressure and I, be like could i bite through my my pinky finger i was also wondering if you have to sever it at the knuckle or yeah. if she would permit it to be at the first joint which right. I think would be a lot easier right yeah. yeah um especially like where the bones meet as opposed to having to bite like through a finger bone. Um, And uh, she can't do it. And then Jade Rat, who has woken up and become a uh, sentient speaking Jade Rat rather than a pendant, rips her own little Jade finger off and and spits it on the ground. And uh, then the Guardian is like, the crow bridge is receding already. And <laughs> she turns around and she realizes that this super precarious winding bridge is actually just crows. It's just tons and tons of crows uh, that are ready to have their little backs stepped on mm-hmm. like as part of this bridge. It's like an ant bridge kind yeah. of. Um, and as you step on the crows, they do sink. So yeah. you have to really take it out of clip. Yeah, because they're crows mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're a human being. Mm-hmm. So she's just sprinting across them. The crows are fading. Um, like they're wearing out. The bridge is like showing a lot of cracks in front of her. And she gets really upset because Jade Rat just pieces, which like when it happened, I was like, yeah. Somebody has to finish I this mean, mission. I mean, it looks like you weren't going to make it. J-Rad is either going to die too or maybe make it one of you, um, which I'm an adult, so it makes sense why I understood that. But she's 14, so she feels yeah. very betrayed. Super betrayed. Yeah. Um, 
And so they they keep kind of traveling together. Jade Rat is seeming to show some weakness. Um, and you find out that like Jade Rat only has so much energy and mm-hmm. has to turn back into a pendant sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melanie asks the figure eight ball a couple questions pretty early Magic on. Magic eight ball. And it, it gives her really cryptic uh, question responses that are pretty unhelpful, um, but very like ancient magic seeming um like they they remind you kind of of the way the prophecy is written like mm-hmm. just vague um but they are telling her what to do in so many words like the i felt the most important one is I the one that the first one but i remember the important one yeah, yeah the most important one says like will you do to your greatest enemy like will you go as low as them like will you do mm-hmm. are you willing to do to hurt them as much as they're hurting you yeah the first one she gets is in times of crisis and indecision, who will advise you? So that's also really important because it's the first of several steps that are showing Melanie that she can really only depend on herself to figure out solutions. And her own choices. And that her choices are what matter rather than a prophecy. Which I loved when the, the sentiment of you can't be responsible for writing all the wrongs of the world. You can only be responsible for your own choices, which is something that I try to remind myself of. Yeah. Um, and she's like comes over the crest of this mountain as she's trudging through this like emin wheel of uh, rock and twisty just grayness um, she notices that she looks very much alive in this place because she vibrant. is yeah um, Adventure Time reference it reminded me of the one where they go to the dead world to get the spirit of Princess Bubblegum's plant back that they kill. And uh, there's like all these skeletons around. And when they notice them, they're just like, whoa, like flesh. I'm going to tear that flesh off you and eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Very much that vibe. Um, And as she's coming into Half World, it's just this morass of industrial buildings and factories and hotels and living court. And there's all different kind of phases of technology and they're all periods of human existence. Yeah. And they're all represented together, cobbled together, making lots of noise. There's battles. There's like all kinds of stuff happening everywhere at once. Figures have part human, part animal bodies like Bosch. Yes, Hieronymus Bosch and M.C. Escher are both explicitly mentioned in the book as what Half-World looks like. And that's why Fumiko likes that art. Yes, yeah. And I love Bosch personally. I know that Grace does as well. (laughs) Thumbs up for Bosch. Um, And uh, she also sees people caught in alarming cycles of death and pain. Like, for instance, she sees one, um, like, crooked woman's something i don't even know what to call them half world vessels because they're not spirits because spirit is like the sort of nirvana level of being yeah but they're souls they're they're entities people yeah um throwing herself into the water and then reappearing on the bank and just keeping doing it doing it Mm -hmm. doing it and that's our first kind of taste of like the cycles that the souls are trapped in mm-hmm. in half world because they can't ascend to the spirit world once they sort their stuff out. They're just trapped in their stuff, in their trauma for forever. Um, so super scary. 
Um, Melanie ends up in this mezzanine hotel. Uh, it happens to be the one where Mr. Gluskin is living, um, which is not like a, it, it feels natural because that's where she's being drawn towards. Mm -hmm. Like that's where her quest is mm -hmm. and how the heck is she going to find any place here anyways? Um, the hotel is also full of upsetting stuff. Um, she like listens more to the the people and like learns more about Half World, like we've already discussed. Um, and she ends up meeting her father at a bar, <laughs> uh, and her father is horrible. She realizes who he is just because of something that he says and like the way that he looks. Um, and he has this like ghoulish woman with him mm -hmm. whose eyes are rolled all the way back into her head and, uh, it's wearing like a long black dress. Sounds like death. Um, and he like just kind of drunkenly like wavers at her and is like, and is like, don't worry, you can throw up here. And then she just barfs on the table. Um, and he tries to take her with him to an upsetting party and she runs away. Um, she, I don't know if she puts the makeup on first or after so she, she had already put on okay, she already some makeup, makeup herself, yeah. but then she intensifies her disguise. She realizes that she needs to get to Mr. Gluskin's room and the best way to blend in is to disguise herself as a housekeeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But before she gets to Mr. Gluskin's room, um, she meets, um, when she's escaping the bar and getting away from her dad, yes. someone very strong grabs her. Yes. And it's this woman with wild, knotted white hair um, and is like, you have something of mine. You have something of mine. You have to give it to me. And I was like, oh, she wants her flesh. <laughs> but turns out that it's actually... Um, Jade Rat, because Jade Rat had been in Ms. Way's family for generations because it was originally this woman's. And when she gets Jade Rat back, the piece of her spirit that she'd put in Jade Rat um, helps her to like come to her senses. Yes. Um, and I completely forget what her name is now. Her name is Gao Zhen Shi. Okay, so Gao Zhen Shi brings Melanie into her library where all of the books are half finished um, because this is half world, everything is terrible. And there's no resolution for anyone. And she, like, they look at the prophecy a bit more. There's more about the second baby. And Melanie's like, well, who's the second baby? Like, I'm already here. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, while they're just talking and getting to know each other, and it's a nice little respite, uh, Mr. Glueskin's gelatinous, uh, appendage sloops through like a light, a light bulb. Yeah, yeah. and suddenly it's like, wow, like I'm here. <laughs> it's me, hell. <laughs> so disgusting. Yeah, um, and grabs um, Gao Zhenshi. Gao Zhenshi. Um, so Gao Zhenshi gets got by Mr. Glueskin, but it is kind of. Pre previously it said to Melanie, like, no one can die here. We'll just, you know, get swapped back into yeah. a cycle yeah. of like our moment of death. And then we keep going from there forever and ever and ever. Um, so Melanie tells herself like, don't worry, he can't kill them. But she can die. But she can die. Mm -hmm. So she understands that she needs to protect herself yeah. here. Um, and that's when she ends up in the super heavy makeup and decides to be Gladys because she finds like a maid's uniform and mm -hmm. a cart. And she realizes that if she just kind of shambles around looking confused, that's a great disguise yeah. <laughs> because she fits right in with all the other lost souls. Um, 
ends up in an elevator with a bellhop sh- who she'd previously seen Mr. Gluskin eat. Um, and he uh, tells her how to use the card that she has to get to the penthouse. Um, she doesn't have to talk to him, which is good because she realizes that she probably shouldn't open her mouth um, because like maybe they could smell the life on her and they could see like her pink mouth. Um, and uh, she nerve wrackingly goes through like trying a few different doors um, until uh, she, and she's like talking her through it. She's having a lot of trouble talking herself through it. And she finally finds Mr. Gluskin's apartment, goes in. Um, Fumiko is there, her mom like all dressed up and she's completely vacant eyed, not really there. And then Mr. Gluskin pops out and he's like, you're the maid, like be the maid for the party. Uh, Melanie is putting out the ice and the champagne, uh, goes into the kitchen to try to shake her mom out of it, starts crying a lot, grabs her mom's dress, which is made of broken glass or like shards of mirror. Because um, her mom doesn't recognize her. So yeah, she's so getting she's upset. Increasingly upset. Yeah, because she thinks that she's there to save her mother, not to like she knows she's supposed to be saving the realms, but she's 14. So yeah. her main focus is like, yeah. I'm trying to save my mom. Yeah. Um, And uh, so she starts bleeding everywhere and her makeup is all runny and like smushed on her face. And then Mr. Glueskin comes in and he's like, ah, it's you. Um, You came to the party and uh, go, go put your dress on. Um, Pushes her in the bathroom. Um, Gao Zhen, she is in a Glueskin sack. Nice little glue sack sitting in the bathroom. Yes. Just kind of like blur. Which, like, given the things that happened to some other people in this book, it's not the worst. Probably better. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she uh Melanie like claws her out of there and she has Jade Rat as well. Um, and uh she dies, but she, her like cycle she starts over again. Her cycle. Yeah, but it was still like a stealing moment for mm-hmm. Melanie. Um, and then Jade Rat says, flush me down the toilet. I'll get help. Um, as a pendant. And <laughs> yeah. then I can like get my way out and get help. And Melanie does it. Um, so then they're safe from Mr. Mm-hmm. Gluskin. And Melanie is like, whatever. Like, I'm just going to play along. Um, I don't have the ability. This is where like that part of what the Magic 8 Ball said is mm-hmm. important. She's like, no, I, I don't want to meet his violence and horror mm-hmm. and disgustingness with my own. And I can't beat him at that game anyways. So instead, I'm going to try to like... Be nice. Yeah. And try to kind of throw him off yes. by responding in a way he doesn't expect. And it works. It works. Um, and, it, like, he's being awful. He's, like, got his gluey stick appendage on her and is just kind of, like, throwing her around, showing he her to another people. person. Yeah, he eats the, the, the wallaby-headed man. man. <laughs> um, and, like, a bunch of, uh, yeah, just messed up looking guests come in. And, the, and Melanie realizes that, like, some of them are probably on her side. Mm-hmm. Other ones are just, like, terrorized into complying. Um, There's notably a lovely starfish with the face of a young girl and it's a center. beautiful child <laughs> in its center yeah it's a Who's, starfish who seems to be trying to figure out how she might support her yeah um so mr gluskin is just saying horrible things and melanie is meeting it with kind of nice uh indifference um and it is really throwing mr gluskin uh, he has her read from his book of the realms and she lies to him saying that it says like submit the, like the yeah obey your, new, your master. new master you, yeah the child has failed right she gives a false prophecy which is also smart because then he like super lets his guard down mm-hmm. and it's like 
well, we're going to have blood tonight yeah. after you, your mom and I get married. Yeah, no, he's, he <laughs> says, like, you're going to be the suckling pig, the suckling is pig, what he says yeah. to her. I, I was thinking of the blood fondue. Yeah, the blood earlier. fondue and then the canapes, which are like little writhing so creatures. Um, and somehow what happened, I think that he, he goes to like start killing Fumiko, Mm -hmm. um, and Melanie accidentally or no, on purpose, she throws ice on him because she's like, Oh, he's He's, glue. Yeah. And we saw it at the gum at the, yeah, he's gum. Um, at the very, very beginning when they're running across the bridge, he gets meltier because Mm -hmm. of the heat Mm -hmm. of like the exertion. So like that, is a really nice like planting that seed of mm-hmm. like oh his form can be changed yeah. it's very malleable yeah. um so she just gets more and more like buckets of ice and just freezes him all up uh freezes all of his appendages stuffs it like in his mouth and in his pants and stuff um and then when he's frozen <laughs> there's a very like death of stalin-esque response from a lot of the people just be like he will punish us for this like <laughs> We we still have to do his bidding. <laughs> and they also say that he is the one who taught them how to extend their cycles. Yeah. So they do have some real gratitude for him in changing what half world could be once it became the frozen stuck place. But he made it in order to extend their cycles. He made it into this just like parade of horrors. So like, you know, some of them are clinging to that. Um the starfish child helps uh, Melanie and Fumiko escape. But not until after Melanie's mom hits uh, Mr. Glueskin with a knife. Yeah. And his body splits. Oh, yeah. And then in the center is left an infant. Nice little baby. A sweet Cute, little, sparkly little baby. baby who also is alive. Yeah. It's the baby is not a spirit. Yeah. So, so they grab baby G. the baby G, which I love. They just start calling him baby G and they take off running um, with baby G. Yeah. I think that, how does Jade Rat end up helping? Does it, oh, all the, crows, the crows come and back the crows and the crows, crows come and attack attacking. everyone yep. and that's how they're able to escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they book it from there. Uh, they uh, end up like they get all the way back to the bridge Um and they've caught Melanie's dad. Yeah, Shinobu is with mm-hmm. them too. This kind of just like bloated, alcohol-soaked ghoul of a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but he recognizes them. Yeah, he recognizes and them, and Fumiko knows what's going on. Back. Yeah, so like she gets to be together with both of her parents for a hot minute, and by the time. Oh, when she's running over the bridge, that's when she understands Jade Rat because she's like, my parents aren't going to make it. Like, I've just got to go. Otherwise, all of us are going to crash down and die. Um, So she gets across um, and her mother bites off her other pinky um, because her mother does make it across. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so her mom loses both. Well, her mom... Right, because she had lost one on her way back in. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, because she had previously Mm -hmm. taken one off to get back in. I I lose track of the pinkies. So many pinkies. So many pinkies. pinkies. Madeline's wiggling her her pinkies at me. Um, And so Fumiko does that so Melanie can get through the gate. And Melanie is just like really gutted that like now she's understanding that no, her mom can't come back. Like her mom never belonged there in the first place. Uh, That's why like she couldn't have like a good life there 
Um, and once she, oh, she also gets the gate guardian to kind of like wake up and be autonomous. That's how her parents make it because the yeah. gate guardian grabs them as they're falling. Yes. Okay. Thank you. But they still wants the pinky. Uh, <laughs> so, Some rules can't be broken. Yeah. Melanie and baby G get through. Jade rat has been broken. Um, but she still has like the part of the pendant, I believe. Baby G is holding it. Baby G. I has just like it. saying yeah. baby G. Let me be real. Baby G. And why haven't I gone by baby G all of these baby years? Come <laughs> on, missed opportunity. It's baby G. Next time I see you in a public place, I'll scream that when I see baby you. Baby G. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just after she gets like, there's this very um, wandering through like the silence between planes of reality is something important. Well, the lights. Well, it's when she steps into the portal, she sees her parents' spirits ascend. Yeah. So they turn into flames, which, um, and the starfish flame is there too. And I think also Jade rat. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, um, or or is it, um, it's gouge. Okay. Okay. Um, and the little starfish girl is there and her parents. So all four of those flames, she sees, she sees their bodies become the lights and then the lights. And they get to go to spirit. to the spirit realm. So she yeah. sees that she was successful. Mm-hmm. She did reunite the realms and the full cycle can begin again. Um, so Fumiko's light, some of it kind of falls and bounces off Melanie's arms and it seems to go into the baby G and Melanie is kind of like, man, what? <laughs> but um, we find out later that it actually went into Jade Rat and Jade Rat became Red Rat, mm-hmm. right? Um, so Red Red Rat. Jade, I think. Is Red Jade, name. yeah, not Red Rat. <laughs> uh, so that will just kind of like... I can't remember if she gives it back to Ms. Way or not when she gets yeah, through. Yeah, sure. she does. Um, but yeah, so she sees that she fixed things and that the spirits went back. And when she's going through her like between the worlds part, she's like so tired, just kind of wants to give up. She gets to this wonderful, beautiful glade um, that sounds a little bit like some part of spirit or whatever. Um and that's right before she reali- finds the hatch back to the freeway and kind of is like, oh, man, I just want to stay here yeah. in this nice glade. And she's like, no, nah, I got to go get back through. Yeah, and the spirits really push her to keep going. Yeah, they're like, no, you have to go and live for yourself. Like, yeah. you get to have your life now. Yeah. Um, and she gets back through and is just kind of like stumbling along on the road when suddenly She's so tired yeah, at this point. And then suddenly Ms. Way is there and like pulls her into the car. She's like into I need- a taxi. <laughs> yeah. Taxi driver is like um, Why haven't you paid me yet? Lady? Like what's happening? Now what there's a baby. <laughs> a great moment of yeah. comedic relief. Yeah. Um and so Ms. Way gets them all back to her place. Um she feeds Melanie an amazing meal of like small tastes of food and uh, when they get to Ms. Way's house uh, now the Book of the Realms has like a it's been completed yeah Ms. Way's copy yeah Um, so she gives her the red jade rat and uh, it becomes apparent that Melanie and Baby G will stay with Ms. Way there's a really cute moment when Ms. Way talks about Nora Gaines I think Nora Stein. Nora Stein um, was her partner who died. Um, and she's like, 
Nora Stein, like, I almost lost her because of babies. And now after she's gone, I get a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it sounds like she wanted to have a kid and Ms. Way didn't. Yeah. Um, So uh, you get the, like, oh, okay, good. Melanie is not going to be taken away by social services. And she and Ms. Way and Nora's baby baby G. Yes, baby G uh, and uh, Melanie, these, like, incredible, uh, I don't even know, spirit magical children get to still grow up um with Ms. Way and uh, this is not a standalone book right yeah there is a sequel that is called Darkest Light mm. and is about baby G as a teen I want to read that I do too I really do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want to know more about baby G yeah I am fascinated great summary thank you so much thank you We won't be having old impressions because neither of us have read this before. As we mentioned, this is part of our ongoing effort to include more books by writers of color. And so it's something more contemporary. Impressions, no adjective attached. Just impressions. Um, I kind of talked a lot about my feelings about this book while I was doing the summary. Um, But I'll just wrap up by saying I think it is a really wonderful coming of age story about a girl who is both very fantastical, but she feels so real. Um, Mm -hmm. Like she's a real child who's having this stuff thrown at her. Um, And we see even before she gets to the fantastical stuff that she has a hard life Mm -hmm. um on top of that and so this is a really good story of overcoming adversity um using the tools that you have available to you and crows 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 (laughs) if you've got a crow at your disposal make the most of it (laughs) befriend the crows they will literally save the entire universe (laughs) Yeah, building off of that, I thought it was really fascinating how the book really has a bit of a, you know, prophetic chosen child narrative, but it really subverts it in so many ways, Um, starting with the fact that Melanie is so unlikely as a protagonist. She's Um, no Harry Potter. Like socioeconomically, physically, ethnically, like there are all these different ways in which she's the kind of character that you typically wouldn't see spearheading a journey like this. Yeah. Um, And she keeps comparing herself to other girls at her school, Mm -hmm. like the really smart one and the really athletic one. But through that, she grows so much in confidence and it's really beautiful to watch and all the more satisfying because she is a very normal kid. And this goes back to something we mentioned a lot and that we talk about within the Tamara Pierce sphere quite a bit in terms of how much divine assistance a protagonist is being given and how that impacts the ultimate their ultimate accomplishments and with Melanie everything is really it's really emphasized that there actually isn't anything particularly special about her sure she was born in half world which has never happened before but as a figure it actually comes down to her own agency and her choices rather than anything that's been predetermined and I thought it was so cool that there's all this talk about the prophecy but the prophecy keeps changing and it's not completely complete. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting and 
it, I just haven't really seen something quite like that before. And it made a lot more sense as a prophecy, like, because it's part of the reason I'm not very into astrology is because everything just seems very like preordained and set in stone and like, here are the rules and you've slot yourself into them. But I really like, um, having the prophecy be like windy and changing Mm -hmm. as things in life change because that makes, makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, definitely. And that really fits into the larger cyclical theme too. And that made me think a lot about um, a lot of Buddhist concepts. Mm, Um, I thought it really made sense with the ongoing cycle and being reborn into different planes of being. Um, And I also was curious about whether there were any specific inspirations for Half World. And I think that within Buddhism, there is a plane that's called Naraka. I I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. Um, And it is essentially a hellish purgatory um, because you're not permanently trapped there. Um, It is a realm of extreme suffering that you're born into as a result of your karma, but your time there is finite Mm. um, until after you've spent the bad karma and then different, more positive karma or more negative maybe results in you being reborn at a different plane. So probably if that makes sense. Predecessor to the, Western idea of um, purgatory. Yeah, def- for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and I, we get a really dense overview at the beginning of the book that we didn't mention in the summary. It, it is a, a fragment from what has been called the Book of Realms. And in just two pages describes how there is the realm of spirit and then the world of flesh and then half world. So it's life, afterlife and half life. Mm -hmm. Um, And something happens, the cycles fall out of balance and they become disconnected from one another. So the spirits like forget that anything else exists and are just trapped in their enlightenment, which it turns out isn't actually where you want to be for all time. I thought it was interesting that the spirits actually leave spirit and go back into the world of the flesh. Um, Which means, I don't know, it makes so much sense to me as like that's mm-hmm. where like you get there after you've processed your pain yeah. and then you just kind of exist in this like nirvana state. But so you need to have like the last of your humanity filtered away to truly just become like life energy again mm-hmm. before then you go back into uh, to start a new life. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like that. I think it makes a lot of sense. And it also seems like that would be a way to reintroduce uh a more um, positive spirit and energy yeah. back into the world. A fresh um, one. It's yeah. Been, it's been filtered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds pretty, <laughs> sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I really liked thinking about that, the, the book's worldview and the different realms just felt very right to me and made mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I also loved the Bosch and Escher references. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about Bosch. He is, he's a 15th century Dutch painter who did a lot of religious triptychs and other really complex images of people, especially being in hell. <laughs> like, triptychs that were trippy. Trippy triptychs. 
Tripitex <laughs> and the Garden of Earthly Delights, which is one of his most famous, I realize actually has all the realms laid out. It has oh. spirit, flesh, and half-world. Then I also loved reading a book that was clearly by looking at the work through very different lenses than what we typically experience. So written by a woman, written by a queer woman, and then written by a woman who is Japanese Canadian. Um, And I really, really appreciated the ways that her identity presented in the work and just made it so much richer. Um, I loved that Ms. Way's queerness was discussed very casually and matter of fact. And she didn't receive, she wasn't the recipient of any prejudice. She didn't feel like she had to hide it. Yeah, based on being in a same-sex relationship. um, And there's, yeah, there's just no question of like the validity or importance of her relationship. And I loved that. That was extremely refreshing. And then the uh, my last <laughs> takeaway is that um, I thought it was so fascinating that Mr. Gluskin, who's probably the scariest villain I've seen in YA, it's pretty scary. Um, like he's so disturbing, but such is the way that the this narrative works and that the cycles work is that the takeaway is that he's not inherently evil and that he became that way because of his trauma and his then ongoing trauma because Mm -hmm. he had been caught in half-world for so long. Um, But there are a lot of different characters that talk about like the good parts of him. And in the end, there's no question that they need to save this baby, not just because of the prophecy, but because he's just a helpless baby. And Mm -hmm. like you said, they immediately, all characters immediately start calling him baby G. There's never any like, oh, who is it? Is it still? Mr. Gluskin, like the narrative has no interest in that. It's just yeah. like they picked up baby G and headed out. <laughs> Next. <laughs> like he's just so fully brought back to his pure self. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really loved that. And that makes me really invested in reading the prequel. And I'm would, sorry, the sequel. Yes. Um, and when you said that um, Mr. Gluskin is, I agree, he's, he's one of the scariest uh, villains in any of the books we've covered and the only other thing that I thought of when I was like scariest mm-hmm. um, is the uh, some of the stuff in uh, Sabriel in the Aporson books. Yeah, there's some like yeah, re- like but those are much less like a lot of their terrifyingness is in their nameless horrorness, right? Like they and are they're... kind of unknowable in how horrifying right. they are, and they don't have souls you know a lot of them are like reanimated mm-hmm. corpses right, at different so levels awful. of demonhood yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it's like unthinkable fear and horror but they don't have any agency right versus and also just like unknowable as opposed to mr Gluskin's just like ridiculously mm-hmm. well described mm-hmm. awful concrete like the his appendages mm-hmm. and slime and like it is very known mm-hmm. and it is terrifying mm-hmm. yeah he's <laughs> a very tactile villain yeah <laughs> so repulsive i'm I'm very impressed by his writing. Yeah. I think it's so difficult to 
craft a very specific villain, one that you fully see, like you said, you know exactly what he's about. He's not lurking in the shadows. He's not like revealed at the end of the book. He's in the opening pages. And from the start, you're like, oh God, get away from me. (laughs) It's not just the fact that his jaw can unhinge and go all the way down to the floor so that he can swallow someone whole. It's not just that he reeks of vinegar every time he opens his breath to the point of choking yeah. when you're in his presence. It's not that his tongue is seemingly limitless and how far it can stretch and what it can envelop. Like For me, honestly, what bothered me the most is the way that his skin is just constantly kind of hanging yes. off of his frame. He's constantly in the stage of uh, meltingness that the Nazis were in in Raiders of the Lost <laughs> the Ark. The final scene of yeah. Raiders of the Lost <laughs> And I found it more disturbing that when he was cut open, it was just a hunk of glue as opposed to having like some organs or something no. in there. He that's also has it. pinprick pupils. There's so yeah. much about him that's yeah. so so deeply upsetting and I kept because this book is so visually rich just like a Bosch painting there's something happening in every single frame and I noted from my Goodreads temp check that some which I think just should become a regular segment now um, (laughs) a lot of readers found the ongoing descriptions of the world to be excessive but I reveled in it like every dark gross corner was just so rich there's there's just so much happening and that's exactly what this world would feel like everyone's been trapped there teaming with hate and fear and anger and also like a lot of fried food (laughs) like their most negative thought patterns like they have become them but some are also trying to break them and continually stretching their cycles which is also so interesting Mm -hmm. and I really liked that brief conversation between the beautiful pageant girl missing a nose and the wallaby headed man where they talked about how much of their cycle they felt they had gotten through. And the wallaby man said, well, when I restart, will you come get me from the kitty zoo? And she's like, I'll always be there for you. (laughs) Just seeing this bizarre kinship. (laughs) And like he wakes up in a zoo, which is clearly part of the reason why he's half animal at this point. Yeah. Um, Something really upsetting happened to him. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I, I loved that and I found it very, inspiring yeah it makes I love the detail it it makes me want to um yeah stunningly I keep working disagree with my own the, stuff. the good readers <laughs> good reads temp check Boo! <laughs> Boo! <laughs> fight me yeah so I I just I thought it was super inventive and the world that Hiromi created is is just incredible even though it is repulsive and it is super upsetting and you do see so many people being swallowed and like tails being served as canapes and only a promise of blood fondue. It's not explicitly in the book. <laughs> it's going to be at the party. Blood would be even harder to have fondue with than chocolate because it, it has lots of different parts to it. So it's yeah. not just about keeping it moving. It, they would need one of those like they'd have to put that metallic stuff in it. It that will makes coagulate. Your, your mouth tastes like metal. Yeah, it will coagulate um, when you donate platelets. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, they put mm-hmm. something in it to keep it from coagulating. Yeah, it's an anticoagulant. It makes your mouth taste like pennies. 
Another reason I'm curious to read Darkest Light is that I think there are some areas where I wanted a little more from this book. One is that I actually thought it could have been longer. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to see more of Melanie's childhood rather mm. than jumping right to 14. Even if we just got like, I think it would be cool to have a few brief chapters at the start, like maybe her at five and yeah. then her at 10 with a different scene that shows her and her mom together because clearly they had a loving relationship yeah. but we only see her mom really once she has been physically and mentally wasted yeah. um and then at the end we see her love for melanie come out but most of the book she's either not present or in a state of amnesia mm-hmm. um so that felt like a missed opportunity yeah. and then i really want to know about how you make your cycle right when you were harmed by another at no fault of your own, that was something that I was really kind of fixating on throughout the book because in Half-World, you're supposed to fix your moment of trauma. But what if it's not, like, what if it's truly not within your capabilities to do so? Like, can it be as simple as, like, not walking down that dark alley that night? You know what I'm saying? I guess what I would figure is then it would come more from a place of like figuring out how not to blame yourself. Yeah, working through your response. And how to get over like literally just your trauma response. Mm -hmm. Like how to overcome the horrible, horrible trauma. Like Um, accepting the random cruelty of existence. Exactly. Right. That's what I would figure. But I mean, I don't know. Well, because I'm so curious about like how... Mr. Glueskin managed to escape infancy because his trauma is that his dad murdered him as his mom was giving birth. So he's kind of special because it was he like was kind of stuck between. Right. He was between spirit. life and spirit. Yeah. Um, so I'm very curious as to how he managed to extend that. Well, I think that's why, he, like, part of the reason he's so drippy and, and yeah, like stretchy and stuff, it's right? It's tenuous. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. This book gives you a lot to think about. It really does. Oh, and then the other thing I was curious about is how Fumiko and Shinobu got pregnant. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, we just (laughs) launch into it when she's super pregs. About to give birth, but we don't know how that piece came to Maybe, I guess it just happened, and then they were just like, what? Yeah, that's what I feel is kind of funny. Yeah, it, like, makes me think of Children of Men, where it's like, one person's pregnant, and I don't know. It happened. Let's protect that baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so those are some of the plot points that I'd love to read more about, um, only because this book was so good that I just just like more of this world. Yeah, for sure. So we'll definitely be reading darkest light baby g <laughs> so we do have a bad dad alert um bad dad bad dad bad dad bad Wee-hoo, dad we we don't get any information. that was totally spontaneous <laughs> <laughs> we don't get any information about exactly what happened to him in the 14 years since he returned to half world seems he um, was drinking a lot and he made friends with the death lady well i mean i see it as a reflection of him giving in to his worst possibilities mm. but then that also led me to wonder it was interesting that we never learned how 
Melanie's mom and dad died. Yeah. Like we never get any information about that, right? Well, I mean, I figured their alcoholism had something to do with it. Like yeah, maybe they are both yeah. alcoholics by that point. But that's because something bad happened in Half World. So you you but can't they could have already been. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. They totally could have. You just can't just can't know. Yeah, the there's cause. a lot of space to just But now see, now there. we're we're asking ourselves the same questions. Like, does the trauma create the pain or Vice versa. You know, I feel like maybe that's something that individually each person <laughs> has to come to their own like soul altering conclusion on. So I don't I don't feel bad that we're not getting there. No, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end the podcast for failures. <laughs> Can't answer for all human suffering. Blah, blah. Okay, so let's talk about animals. animals? Just like animals, animals in this book. Think? Crows. A living crow bridge. A living crow bridge. So awesome. Stopping and focusing on the visuals that were taking place on each page had just so many both wonderful and deeply upsetting results. And at the same time as that I was thinking, this is unadaptable. (laughs) It's also like, but I love thinking about what it would look like, like what it would look like as an an anime. If you could get... Jim Henson to do a oh pan's labyrinth on it. That would be incredible. That there's some the there. starfish with the beautiful child face. It would be amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. So the amount of like oh my practical effects and true, true, just imaginative power. Um, yeah, that would have to go into it because that's. I was kind of thinking that while I was reading mm-hmm. it. I was like, the only way I could see this in reality were if it were like labyrinth style. <laughs> it also felt really Tim Burton-y to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, specifically Beetlejuice. Yeah. Um, which really goes further in a gross direction mm-hmm. um, than other Tim and Burton is movies. Very and some components of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, yeah. The crows are wonderful throughout the book. They're Melanie's overarching guide from start to finish. They come to her in, uh, they're in the the flesh realm they're, as well as half world. Yeah. And you kind of feel like guides. they can traverse all of the realms because they pass between, uh, they cover the abyss, close the abyss. Yeah. And when she sees them like coming in, she's like, oh, is that where I see the crows flying to at night? They're going to half world. Yeah. I, was, I thought that was so cool. That was awesome. <laughs> I know that was, that's like movie poster tagline stuff. Yeah. Um, then we have the wonderful Jade Rat slash uh, Red Jade. Red Jade. Um, it's confusing because you they switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> who her- is such a sweetie and also like gives Melanie a good lesson in selflessness mm-hmm. and is like, you know, I have a journey and a mission too. I'm not just here to help you, and that Which also I helps like her start lot. thinking about things um, in a more universal way rather than focusing in on her own personal plan because usually in fantasy you'd be like oh magical companion yeah it will sacrifice they're, exactly they're here the for me which is like a very myopic way of looking at it yeah. um they are their own creatures and jade rat is just so cool like this artifact that gao jen she put some of her soul into when she was like working with artifacts yeah. <laughs> then it stayed there it's like a good horcrux yeah yeah <laughs> Very cool. A supportive Horcrux. A supportive <laughs> Horcrux. Getting through a tough time. <laughs> um, 
And then at the end, there is the cat who I yeah. think was a stone cat at some yes. point, it sounded like. Yeah, I think it was um, a stone when we first saw it in the beginning. Mm, yeah. And then the final scene of the book is a wonderful conversation between all of the animals that have been pivotal in the book. (laughs) So amazing. And the cat rat and a couple of crows are just like hanging out on a rooftop being like, what a crazy day. Yes. So great. (laughs) You're probably wondering how I ended up here. (laughs) Shout out. Shout out to that random raccoon, which I love. Um, You should go to my Insta, Pig and Doodles. That's pig, the letter N, doodles for a a raccoon that I drew recently that visited Grace on Christmas and tried to steal champagne. Yeah, Madeline has a beautiful drawing (laughs) of this little thief, this little champagne thief that came on Christmas Eve to take our champagne. She's so bold, yeah. And did not respond to being menaced with a chair by, by a large human man. Large man. <laughs> like, uh, go away so I can have this champagne. So that, you know, I, I felt the raccoon just kind of shuffling out and pushing the eight ball and then like back to his own business. Like very proper raccoon attitude and yeah, action. Uh, it's great. <laughs> I'm here. I'm under the highway overpass. I have a magic eight ball. Now I'm gone. I have Don't worry about do. me. <laughs> go snatch some champagne. So let's talk about our pretend food. Pretend food. Most of the book is a hungry book, um, but we do have an amazing scene when Melanie first goes to Ms. Ways. Yeah. And Melanie is really hungry at this point. Her mom hasn't been able to buy food for a while. She hasn't eaten in a few days and then her mom is gone. So on top of dealing with all the mental and emotional strife that's happening, Melanie is also starving. So she goes to Ms. Ways after she gets the creepy call from Mr. Glueskin. And she sees that there's an orange tree filling her yeah. room, which is also full of old books and shelves and wood. It sounded so nice. And it smells like orange and as well. And it smells spicy yeah. and orangey. Yeah. And Ms. Way says, okay, I can tell that you're hungry, so I'm going to make you some food. And then Melanie eats a simple meal of hot broth, stir-fried pea leaves, and scrambled eggs. That sounds incredible. Like, my stomach just growled. Yeah. I love simple, hearty food. It sounds so good. With hot rice, and each bite was full of flavor, savory, and nourishing. And Melanie Mm. could feel her unsettled emotions grounding, her wits returning. You gotta eat. It's amazing what a good meal will do. Truly. Studies showed that judges give better rulings after lunch. That makes so much sense. <sighs> I mean, there's Feed a the reason, judges. Yeah, there's a reason I have a bevy of snacks within arm's reach of my desk. Yeah. Um, then Melanie doesn't really eat in half world that when she's finally given the opportunity to eat when there are salty peanuts in front of her at the bar. And I love how it, at first she's like, oh, mythology says I, I probably shouldn't eat <laughs> there's these. There's the meta commentary <laughs> of like, wait, I'm in like a death yeah. world. I probably shouldn't <laughs> eat the food. <laughs> But then she's so hungry and she's she like, I, I have to do it. I have to do it. And she says that the salt and fat from the peanuts just instantly like wake back up her brain and yeah. seep into her. And so then she's like shoveling nuts in with one hand and rummaging through her backpack with the other when her gross dad shows up and makes her barf all the peanuts. Just up. like, yeah, it gets alcohol fumes all up inside her 
sinuses. And just, you know, paternally inflicted terror. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was what the vomit response was. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then her dad says, we get best to get it out now, and now we got to get another drink in you. It's just like, oh, God. Then the other dish I wanted to call out is the meal that Madeline briefly mentioned already that Ms. Way makes for Melanie when she gets back to her house after her whole ordeal. And she presents it to her and says, Kanji, good for convalescence, easy to digest and warms the spirit. Clear chicken broth, mustard greens, egg tofu, steamed sole only a little bit, chrysanthemum greens, jasmine tea, and her voice softened a little bit of cake. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so loving. Just so good. That meal feels like the precursor where it becomes obvious that the three of them will become a family. Yeah. <laughs> Ms. Way, yes. baby G. She's bringing them together with food. Uh, and she describes the food as she eats. It has chopped green onion garnish. It's salty. Hint of ginger. Slow cooked rice. I love kanji. It's so good. We haven't made it in a while, but we should really make it for you. We never have, have we? No. No. Last time I had kanji was at Monsoon. Oh, my God. Their kanji is good. Yeah. yeah, if you're in Seattle, monsoon on 19th, delici- delicious kanji, and lunch is a lot cheaper than dinner. Yes, don't go, don't go for don't dinner. Don't go, go for dinner. Lunch. Go for lunch. <laughs> we both lived across from that yeah. <laughs> restaurant for years, yeah. and that was the lesson we learned. Um, that's enough. That's enough food for now. <laughs> but it, it, the food that we did get was really delicious, and another wonderful moment of reading a book written by someone who isn't white, isn't American, is giving us something wonderful, delicious, different from what we're accustomed to. Um, when you think of fantasy food, you usually don't think of kanji, but kanji is perfect fantasy food. You usually think of British food. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Breads, cheeses, and Meat the like. pies. Custards. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to think of kanji, so yes, thank you for that, yeah. Romy Goto. Yeah. Shall we select our badass ladies? We shall. There are so many good ladies in this book. (laughs) Yay. I love it. Almost everyone's a lady. I'm going to give mine to um, Gao Zhenxi. And uh, one of the best illustrations in the book is of her, by the way. We'll put it up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. I appreciate her so much for being one of Melanie's uh, few allies in this dark place who like really helps her a lot, gives her important guidance and gives her a feeling that she's not alone. Um, And also like helps to resolve uh, Jade Rat's story as part of it. Like I just thought the way she folded in was was so lovely. And I was so happy when she got kind of her senses back and then it was like, oh, an ally. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So I rate her a library full of finished books. Nice. That's a really good one. Yeah. She, everyone's so excited when the book of the realms finishes itself. Yeah. The last like 30 pages are empty. Yeah. And they're first looking at it. Oh, it's a toss up. Yeah. There's so many wonderful women. I, I want to give it to Ms. Way, but I think I'm going to go ahead and give it to Melanie okay. um, because she deserves her day in the sun. And I've already described why I think she is an excellent protagonist and one that I found really welcome. And it's cool to have a girl who is fat also doing a lot of 
physical stuff, mm-hmm. like doing all the typical hero stuff and succeeding. Yeah. Like she's making it across the crow bridge, you know? Heroes are like almost exclusively athletic. Yeah. <laughs> skinny. Yeah. Even when they're like, you know, awkward, it's always in a skinny awkward. For sure. Yeah. Um, that was great. Yeah. And uh, she just kept going and she learned such valuable and very wise lessons. She go- she gets a lot further than a lot of teen protagonists actually do mm-hmm. on a quest like this. Yeah. Like to be able to truly arrive at the place of understanding all I have are my own choices and I see the power in that as opposed to freaking out about yes. that yeah. is really exceptional. Mm-hmm. That's a very mature, yeah. something we're all still working on, I would say. <laughs> At least I'll speak for myself. Oh, no. I'm yep, yep. I'm in it, too. Still working on that. My reading for Melanie is a pair of Iron Rangers for her to adventure in because she had those ripped up, yeah. soggy, flapping sneakers on, shoes. climbing down a mountain in them, getting shin splints, no doubt. Yeah. I want her to have a good pair of leather boots for the next time she ventures into Half World. Well, yeah. Hopefully that won't happen. Stay out of half world, Melanie. Stay out of half world. <laughs> Although it's going to be better now. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Baby G. Baby G. So I think that finishes our discussion of Half World by Hiromi Goto. Thank you again, Lacey, for recommending this book. Yeah. Absolutely loved we really it. appreciate it. We that. will be covering Darkest Light at some point in the future. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Twitter at dragonbabiespod, and on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. And on Instagram especially, I've been doing a bunch of stories with some like background information about the episode after it comes out. Um, so if you want some bonus Dragon Babies material, Check follow us there. Grace does an awesome job with the Insta. Oh, shucks. Thank you. Go look at it. Our next book will be Searching for Dragons by Patricia C. Reedy. It is the second book in the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, which the first of which we covered like way back at the beginning of the podcast. So now like five years ago. Um, But I'm feeling like some full nostalgia, some comfort. Um, So I think that'll be a really fun one to pick back up. We will find out uh, where are those dragons? Where are they? (laughs) You want to plug your Insta? Please check out my Insta if you like nature, spooky, kind of weirdly spiritual and also cute stuff. Uh, Pig and Doodles on Insta. That's P-I-G-N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S. Yep. Okay. That's correct. On Instagram. Uh, And if you're doing that, make sure you check out our Dragon Babies cyclical Just plugs. Just keeps going in circles forever. <laughs> Keep going back and forth. In fact, the only two Instagram accounts you ever need to visit are Peg and Doodles One, and two. at Dragon Babies Podcast. We got everything you need. Don't go anywhere else on Instagram. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>